As G.K. Chesterton said, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Here on Swimming Upstream, we go against the cultural stream by championing life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. Your host is Eric Sammons, author of seven books, including Holiness for Everyone, The Old Evangelization, and Bitcoin Basics. Now let's get swimming. Welcome to episode 86 of Swimming Upstream. I'm Eric Sammons. Well, it seems like every week the Catholic Church is hit by another scandal, and uh, this week is no different. Unfortunately, this week it's uh, actually two scandals, and they both hit a bit uh, closer to home for me, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, two institutions that I uh, have a lot of admiration for, both were hit with scandals this week. Uh, the first was Opus Dei, and the second was Franciscan University of Steubenville. I want to talk today about those scandals and about uh, kind of like what our sh reaction should be. I mean, when a scandal happens with people we don't know or institutions we have no connection with, it's easy to have righteous anger. It's easy to get upset and blame people and point fingers. But when it happens to either people we know or institutions that we're familiar with or have some connection to, you know, I think we have a different reaction. Uh, and so I, I want to talk about what our reaction really should be in these situations when these things happen. First, let me just go through what's happened this week. Um, as far as Opus Dei can, is concerned, uh, Father John Miklowski, a, a priest of Opus Dei, he was accused of having uh, inappropriate uh, conduct with a woman uh, back in 2002. Essentially, he, she came to him for counseling and for spiritual direction, and he abused his position by uh, some sexual misconduct with her. And there's also other possible allegations against him that haven't come out before. And Father McClowski is actually a pretty high-profile priest, at least he was back then. He's the priest that was based in Washington, D.C., that brought many high-profile people into the Catholic Church, including Kansas Governor uh, Sam Brownback, uh, Newt Gingrich. I think he was involved with Clarence Thomas, but I'm not 100% sure about that one. And I have had a great admiration for Father McClowski over the years. He wrote a book a number of years ago called uh, Good News, Bad News, and it's by evangelization. And I consider it one of the best books on evangelization out there. In fact, I recommended it a lot when I was the director of evangelization for a diocese. Purchased copies and gave them out and things like that. So I have had a very high opinion of him. And in fact, when I wrote my book on uh, St. Jose Maria Escriva, the founder of Opus Dei, uh, called Holiness for Everyone, I reached out to Father McClowski and I asked him to write a, if he could write a review of it. And he did, very kindly, very, very nice review of it. I don't know Father McClowski um, at all other than that. That's my, that was my only actual personal contact with him was I reached out to him blindly and just asked him if he'd do it, and he did. However, I was in Washington, D.C. at the time that he was there, and I was involved with Opus Dei uh, a few years after. I've never, I've never been a member of Opus Dei, but I, I went to different uh, meetings they had and spiritual uh, direct uh, nights of reflection, things like that, uh, Opus Dei retreat out there, things like that. So anyway, I have this connection. I, I have a, and I, so I have an admiration for Opus Dei. I mean, I admit that freely, and for Father McClowski. And so when I heard this, I was obviously very disappointed, uh, very upset by this. Uh, it, it did explain a few things to me because 
I had not heard. Father McCloskey seemed to drop off the map a number of years ago. I mean, he had some things he was doing, but really his profile diminished greatly. And I thought that was odd considering the success he had in bringing people in the church and and uh, the things he'd been doing. And now it, does, it makes more sense. Now, one thing I do want to know is that, that Father McCloskey now suffers from Alzheimer's disease. And so he can't respond to any of these accusations. He can't really speak for himself. Opus Dei, though, has basically admitted that uh, this has happened. In fact, what made the news was the fact that they admitted they, they paid almost $1 million to the woman who had made the accusations against him, who's still in Opus Dei, a member of, or at least involved with Opus Dei uh, still. Now, when this was revealed, the um, Monsignor Thomas Brolin, no, Bolin, I believe you pronounce his last name, I'm not 100% sure, uh, he is a high-ranking official with Opus Dei uh, in America, he came out with a statement that kind of said what happened. And there was good and bad in what Opus Dei did. Now, remember, this is 2002, so this is right when the sexual abuse crisis was, was beginning uh, to become public. And so, really, the history of the church was very bad, how it uh, reacted to these things. And what happened was is he was accused. They found out in November 2002 and by December 2003, he had been removed from his position at the Catholic Information Center in Washington, D.C. And that, you know, frankly, that sounds pretty quick to me. Uh, maybe I have a low standard, to be honest. Uh, that sounds pretty good considering how often we saw priests stay for decades and such. And, uh, but the problem is, is that, and they did restrict his ministry some, but they didn't restrict it completely. They basically told him you can't hear confessions from women except for in a traditional confessional, you know, with a wall between them and things like a screen and things like that. And that his contact with individual women had to be limited to the confessional. So, you know, he could give talks or things like that to women, but he couldn't uh, do, he couldn't have individual counseling of them except for what you find in, in, confession, in the confessional. Now, in Opus Day, all activities are, are segregated between men and women. And what's really disappointing is Opus Day continued to let him uh, minister to women, basically. And I think that was, that was a mistake. In fact, an Opus Day official uh, came out, I'm forgetting his name, just yesterday, he said he really disagreed. He thought that was a bad idea, too. He, he admitted that that was bad. And so I think there's a lot of criticism that can be uh, directed towards Opus Dei for the response to this. They definitely didn't do enough. At the same time, for what it's worth, they clearly did more than most bishops have done. And that's, you know, uh, damning with faint praise or praising with faint, faint uh, damning or something to that effect. I, I don't know what it is, but... All in all, though, this was uh, disappointing to see, and um, you know, we pray for the victim, the, the woman who came forward, and any other victims. Hopefully there were no others uh, other than, than the woman who came forward. Now, the second scandal that happened this week was uh, involving my alma mater, Franciscan University of Steubenville. I'm a graduate. Uh, uh, I got a master's degree. My undergrad wasn't there, but my, I got a master's degree in theology at Franciscan University of Steubenville. And one of my daughters is currently a student at uh, Franciscan University of Steubenville. So obviously I have a big attachment to it. I'm, I'm a big defender in general of Franciscan. Uh, and, and I've had, I actually have a previous episode where I talk about uh, Franciscan and some of the accusations of scandals against them. It's episode 78, if you want to look it up, uh, where I talk about that. But what happened this week was church militant, uh, a lot of people might know who they are, but they're a, they, they are a 
Catholic news source, and they tend to be very uh, traditional, very conservative, and a little bit over, a little bit, they're very over the top in the reporting at times, let's just say it's straight. Uh, well, they reported, Christina, Christine Niles, uh, one of their main people there, reporters there, she reported that the chair of the English department at Franciscan University, Dr. Stephen Lewis, he assigned to his students a novel that was frankly uh, pornographic and also um, blasphemous towards Our Lady. Uh, just a, a terrible, uh, terrible book in, in many ways. And, and it details it. And I'm going to link to these different things on the show notes page uh, if you want to go look at it. And so basically what happens is, what happened was is they, they revealed that he had, he, uh, Dr. Lewis had assigned this and used this, which had some disgusting uh, passages in it. And when they, they requested a statement from Franciscan University, the public relations manager there released a statement that, frankly, was pretty pretty lame. I mean, basically excused it. Basically said, well, you know, you, you have to read things that don't always... Uh, correspond to Catholic virtue that, that might portray sinful acts. You know, it even mentions, while the, quote, while this happens through the study of literature by authors such as Homer, Virgil, Dante, and Shakespeare, who portray many sinful acts, it also happen, can happen when they grapple with significant challenges to Catholic faith by contemporary writers. I'm sorry, but putting this trash on the same level as Homer or Virgil or Dante or Shakespeare is ludicrous and laughable on its face. And so I think... It was a very defensive statement, and it was very disappointing. And so Church Militant ran the story, and rightly there was a large amount of uh, backlash against it by Franciscan people, including myself, uh, that this is, no, this is not acceptable. I, don't, don't try to defend this. This, isn't, this is indefensible for a Catholic university is trying to uh, be faithful to the church. Now, does that mean every single assignment needs to be faithful, needs to be, uh, faithful to the church in the sense that it doesn't depict sin? Of course not. That's not exactly, that's not all what is being said here. The complaint is this clearly went over the top and there was no ver- there was no purpose in having this. Having a, uh, Literature that depicts sin is, is okay. It's just you don't have to have such a graphic and, and blasphemous way of doing it. So there's no place in a Catholic university for an assignment like this. Now, after the backlash, then there was another uh, statement from the president of uh, Franciscan University, Father Sean Sheridan, in which he came out much more strongly, a much better response than the initial one, in which he basically said, you're, everybody's complaining, you're right. He, I want to start with what the first two sentences, I think, set the tone. He says, I would like to apologize for the use of this book, The Kingdom, in an advanced literature course at Franciscan University last spring. Above all, I would like to apologize to our blessed mother and her son and to anyone who's been scandalized because of this incident. I do like the fact that he apologized to our, uh, our blessed mother and her son very early on in this letter. He, he goes on to explain how it was used, and in a way, it looks like it's defending it a little bit in the sense that he's saying it was in an elective class, one elective class with five upperclassmen, 
as a tool to contrast how Catholics and non-Catholics approach faith and literature and prepare students for challenging conversations with people who think like the author of that book. Okay, I do think there is a place for different levels of what you uh, expose students to, like a freshman level English class for that, that's a general elective, I mean a general uh, course that everybody has to take. That's one thing, and an elective class of five upperclassmen is different. So I, I definitely think there's a difference there. I still think obviously this, this um, crossed the line. And I think, I, I, I like Father Sheridan's, uh, Father Sean's uh, response and letter, but I do think it's still seem to be a little bit uh, on the defensive side. And I wonder if that has to do with the fact perhaps uh, Dr. Lewis is tenured and there's only so much they can do to him in this situation. And I'm not calling for his firing or anything like that because I don't know all the details. I definitely think it was a, a, a terrible thing to do. Uh, at, the, at best, it was lacking in judgment. Um, at worst, it was just blasphemous. So I, I don't know if enough information to like call for his head or anything like that, and I wouldn't do that anyway. Uh, but the point is, is that the it looks like the university is responding um, to it, and they do realize how serious this is, that this wasn't just some minor thing. Now, of course, the reactions to both of these different scandals were kind of typical of what you'd expect. And social media, of course, blew up. Catholic social media blew up, and everybody took their turns to attack different people. And what I noticed, though, is that and what I think is sad in the reaction a lot of people had is people seem to just quickly jump into their groups. And, you know, you see, like, for example, uh, church militant, the fan of the church militant, they used this as a, and I, this, when I say fans of church militant, I, I do think there's some value in church militant. Actually, let me talk about that for a minute. I thought this article from church militant was a perfect example of the uh, goodness and badness in church militant. And, or, and things, places like that. The first half of this article was great because it reported this. This had to be reported. If Church Bulletin had report, hadn't exposed what was happening, do we really think anything would have happened? It would have continued to be used. Nobody would have been, everybody would have been none the wiser. So I think I, I, I want to give credit to Church Milton, to Christine Niles, for reporting this, because the fact is nobody else seems to want to do this. And so credit where credit is due. And this is the key. You've seen this with the scandals, the, the, the abuse crisis scandals as well, that until somebody's willing to uh, expose it, nothing happens. And the only people usually willing to expose it are those who are ideologically opposed to the, the people doing the problems, unfortunately. The problem with the Church Milton article is the second half. After a fine reporting of what happened and, and saying the response, then all of a sudden Niles gets into a, uh, an attack on the university that, boy, basically, just look at all these terrible things that are happening, and it, it just shows how you know, all these sources are saying that it basically it's no longer a Catholic university, and it just goes outlandish. Instead of facts, like the first half of the article is, which state what's happening and, and don't even try to give an opinion. Then the second half is just all these speculations about how the university is going to hell in a handbasket. And it really ruined the article for me. And what made it the worst for me is it seemed like she wants the university to fail. Just like George Neumeyer, who she, she quotes in the, in, who she uh, references in the article, who had the uh, previous attacks on the university did. It's like they want the university to go under. They don't want the university to succeed. And I just don't get that attitude, to be honest. 
I think, obviously, we should realize who's on our side and who's not. And Franciscan University is on the side of orthodoxy. It's on the side of the Catholic Church. And so when it makes a mistake, we expose it. Yes, we do. And we, and we challenge the university to do better and we, and because that's what we, how we get constant vigilance. But we don't, like, make up stuff or just look for any possible person who might have a grudge against them and use that to say, oh, look, they're going under, going under, which is basically what Neumeier does. Anybody who might have a problem with the university, he anonymously quotes them and says how terrible the university is because of that. And that's what Niles is falling into in the second half of her uh, article. And so what happens is people get in their camps immediately after this happens. Let's go back to the reactions. And so we see people defending church militant and saying everything about, you know, this is great. What it's doing is God's work, stuff like that. And then people defend Franciscan and do the same thing. I saw, I'm going to quote uh, something I saw on Facebook. I'm not going to name who said it, but somebody who is, uh, I know, pro-Franciscan University. Um, and, and they said, honestly, church militant is more guilty of the sin of scandal than anyone. Stephen had good, that's the, uh, Dr. Stephen Lewis, Stephen had good intentions and taught the book in context with discussion. Church Milton excerpted, boy, that's a hard word to say, I guess, had excerpts of as many racy bits as possible, all out of context, and did so with the actual intent of causing scandal. Why people don't see this is beyond me. Okay, no, I'm sorry, but that's, that's not true. Church Milton did not cause more scandal than the, than the university, than, than, than Dr. Lewis did. It was the assigning of the book and using this book that's a scandal. Church Militant, by reporting it, is not the causing it. This is honestly the same logic that's used for why we don't expose scandals and the, the abuse scandals in the church, because it supposedly would cause more scandal, and we're supposedly attacking the church if we expose bishops who are covering things up or expose... Uh, priests who are doing these terrible things. The reason that bishops cover things up is often because they claim they want to prevent scandal. So no, Church Milton is not more guilt, the, the more guilty of the sin here. Now that being said, I already said actually that you know Church Milton went too far, I think, in the second half of their article. Uh, and I also think trying to defend Dr. Lewis, he might have good intentions, I don't know. But clearly... Uh, you, the, the context of this book is that it shouldn't be taught, I mean, frankly, uh, in, a ca in a Catholic setting. I'm sorry. It just shouldn't. It just goes beyond what, what you should, uh, what should be in a Catholic university uh, within the, you know, obviously academic freedom, but this is just, you know, there, there's no good purpose to it. You can teach the lesson without exposing to that specific book. And so, but here's the reality. People and organizations can be both right and wrong. Like in this situation, let's talk about the Franciscan one. I, Opus Dei, the, Father McCloskey is uh, true as well, but church militant is both right and wrong. They were right to report it. That was the right thing to do. They were bad, though, to revel in the scandal and to bring up other things that had no sources to them and basically were just an attempt to try to bring down the university and, and cause uh, skepticism unwarranted skepticism about the orthodoxy of the university. Just report. People can then decide when they hear what happens without the saying, like, oh, certain people on the inside sources say that, you know, there's blah, blah, blah. So they're both right and wrong. Franciscan University was, is both right and wrong. They were wrong, you know, obviously Dr. Lewis to assign this book, and their initial response was not good. 
However, Father Sean's later response was good and better, I should say. Well, I think it still needs some work. You know, they still need to go further. But I'm going to give them a little bit of a break on that and just say it appears that they take this seriously. They're not going to allow the book to be used anymore on the campus. They, they obviously made it very publicly clear that this was not right to do. So they are both right and wrong. I think it's possible to think that. I don't, you know, even though clearly I'm on, um, I'm more sympathetic to Franciscan University than I am Church Militant. I'm willing to acknowledge that both sides did some things right and did some things wrong. We don't have to be jumping into one specific party and saying, okay, everything this party does is right and everything that party does is wrong. It's like the political world gets moved into everything we do. And I think that's not what we should be doing. So what should be the proper reaction when things like this happen? Obviously, I think the first proper reaction is prayer. Don't jump into our social media reactions and to pontificate before we pray. And I'll be the first to admit that I have fallen prey to this at times. When the scandal last summer first broke, I admit I just was so upset. I mean, the, um, the McCarrick scandal, I'm sorry. When this McCarrick scandal first broke last year, I admit I was so upset. I just went immediately to social media to, to uh, vent about it and to say things, you know, wh why I was upset and things like that. And what's sad is some of my, my most popular uh, tweets as far as the you know, responses and everything were the ones where I was upset and expressing my, you know, being angry. Now, there's a place for righteous anger. And I, don't, I went back at those tweets and none of them really, I thought, crossed the line or anything. But I know from my point of view, I should have prayed more first before I went to social media to pontificate about these things. So I think that's the first thing to do is let's pray first and foremost before we, we jump on the social media. Again, I'm not saying we can't get on social media to talk about these things. I do that, but let's do it in the context of prayer. But I think the bigger lesson for me and I think for all of us should be let's not assume the worst motives for everybody. I mean, that's what happened here is that the, the church militant assumed the worst motives for Franciscan University and the defenders of Franciscan assume the worst motives for church militant. Listen, people can make mistakes. People sin. I think what we should do is look at the overall direction of a person or an institution before we assume these worst motives. I mean, I think we can use good judgment. So, for example, you know, somebody like Father James Martin, who's made his career now out of defending homosexuality and promoting homosexuality, I think it's okay to assume when he says something that's somewhat ambiguous towards homosexuality, I think it's okay to assume that, okay, where he stands. I don't think it's like some type of big jump to assume where he stands because of his history. However, Franciscan University has a history of being a solid Catholic or, uh, university. So I think we should look at that and make that part of it and say, okay, this happened, this is bad, but was it a, uh, is it an institutional mistake that they're, they're ignoring? Or is it something that maybe is just cropping up and they need to be more vigilant and they need to uh, respond strongly to it? Also, let's not hope for an institution's decline or a person's decline. It seems to me that some traditionalists, and I, I, tend to, I consider myself a traditional Catholic, although I, I tend to avoid the, the, the um, label traditionalist because it has a lot of baggage with it, but some traditionalists, not all, seem to want any institution that's not full-fledged traditionalist to fail. And they wanted to, instead of wanting it to maybe become more traditional over time, which I would argue that Franciscan University has greatly, from the time I was there in the early 90s, mid-90s to now, is definitely become much more traditional. So that's a good thing, right, if you're a traditionalist? You know, so we shouldn't want to fail. 
and, and try to find any reason we can to, to, to make it fail. We should want it to, 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 to do well. And so when it makes a mistake, we should uh, expose it, but also help it back up when that happens. And, you know, on the other side, a lot of times, you know, all liberals or even uh, more conserv- just conservative kind of nor- Novus Ordo Catholics, they want all tradition- traditional institutions to fail. They look at any organization like the Fraternity of St. Peter or something like that, and they kind of they, they look askance at that, and they're, they're hoping it fails. And I think in both cases, we need to just hope the good institutions that have proven their worth over time, we wanted them to succeed. And so when they have a misstep, we want it. We, we don't want that to be the, the first step in their, in their fall. I mean, ultimately, we want Christ to be lifted up. And so the institution that lifts up Christ, we want it to succeed. So let's give the benefit of the doubt when possible, especially to those who have earned it. I mean, that's what I think. I think Franciscan University, I know maybe you disagree. Maybe somebody listening to this thinks Franciscan University is the devil's university or something. But I think it's earned the benefit of the doubt, that when something like this happens, we don't look at it as an institutional problem that's deep in the recesses of the institution, but instead we say, okay, this is obviously a problem. Let's see how they react to it, and let's see if they take steps to correct it, which seems they are. And the same thing with Opus Dei. Opus Dei has done a lot of good in the world, and I, I think it's a, it's a great uh, institution, but of course it has sinful people in it that, that run it, and human people that make mistakes. And so the way they responded to the Father McClowski uh, situation back in the early 2000s was better than a lot of bishops, but that still, still wasn't enough. They needed to do more, and I think hopefully they're seeing that now. Yes, they're, maybe they're only seeing it because it's been exposed, but still, that's, that's why it should be exposed. But still, that's what we want. We want them to see that. I mean, something like Cardinal Whirl, the biggest problem I had with Cardinal Whirl and his response to all the things that came out this past summer is he never seemed to really just acknowledge that, yes, he made mistakes and he really was part of the problem. I mean, if, 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 they, if somebody says, hey, you know, I was part of that and I really did make mistakes and I see now that was the wrong thing to do, then I'm willing to give you some of the benefit of the doubt. But I, I never saw that, and you don't see that from most of these bishops. They never talk, you know, they never say, I apologize to our, our Blessed Mother and her son or anything like that, which is what they should be doing on their knees. But ultimately, we do have to realize this is kind of the flip side of giving benefit of the doubt to human institutions and don't assume the worst motives. We can never put a human institution above Christ, above the truth. We must call out when they make mistakes and they have scandals. I mean, if you, we don't, we, we, it would not have been a good thing to just simply sweep the Father McClowski revelations under the rug or what happened at Franciscan University. If you do that, then what happens is you're putting a human institution over a divine person, Jesus Christ. And we simply can't do that. What we need to do is always know that the truth needs to be revealed. It needs to be exposed because the truth will set us free. I just don't understand the philosophy of, well, let's hide things because if it gets out, it's going to hurt the institution. I don't care about the institution. What I care about is the truth and about Christ and souls. That's what we should care about. So I say expose it all, and I have no problem exposing it. And I, and I, again, I want to commend Church Militant, which I have a lot of problems with their tone, but I want to commend them for doing the work they've done to expose some of these things. What I wish for in my ideal dream world would be an organization that exposes these things without falling into some of these problems of, of uh, then a, 
uh, pontificating about and, and, and making up things, basically, and speculating. Speculating, that's what I'm looking for. Going beyond the, the facts and going to speculation. If we, That's what I would really like to have. I personally think 1 Peter 5... They're not really a um, organization. I've written for them. Um, they're not really an organization that's out there ex- uh, trying to expose all the news. They're more commentary than anything else. But I think they do a better job of this than most uh, traditional um, Catholic publications. But I think it'd be great to have one that just simply reported these things without the speculation. Ultimately, our only fealty is to Christ and his church. That's it, to Christ and his church. We can't become party members. I, I can call them party Catholics, where basically we defend certain uh, groups in the church. I mean, I, I look at the example of like a Sean Hannity or Rachel, Rachel Maddow, where they basically defend anything of their party, no matter how stupid or, or bad it is. I think we can't be like that. If something bad is happening inside the church, we need to acknowledge it. Don't assume the worst motives, but at the same time, don't, don't hide these problems either. Okay, so... I think I'm going to just kind of close it up there. It's been kind of a tough week. Again, I mean, these scandals are kind of minor compared to the stuff that came out with, that's coming out with McCarrick. But for me, like I said, they hit closer to home. And I think that's when you really start to look at your own attitude and what you're doing in response. And for me, I know that it's encouraged me. I need to pray more. I need to pray more for those institutions that are trying to do the best they can to serve Christ. They have fallen human beings running them, but they're trying. And so I think we need to always pray for them. Pray for priests particularly. I mean, I think Father McClowski is a good example of here's a priest. I'm willing to believe that he was really trying to serve Christ. And then he just succumbed to temptation. I'm not, that's not an excuse for him. He is responsible for that, for his actions, very much so. But at the same time, I don't think... Lay people in particular know how much priests are attacked. And so when you see a priest who is faithful, I mean, all priests, pray for them. Pray for them a lot so that they they don't fall into these issues. Okay, before I leave, just a reminder, please, I have noticed some people are rating and reviewing me on iTunes. I want to thank you very much. I really encourage uh, my listeners to do that. That helps more people find out about the podcast. I only have a certain amount of reach on my own, and so doing that, I'm not spending any money on this, so I don't have uh, lots of funds to market it. The way people find out about this is word of mouth. So rate and review on iTunes. Uh, listen on you know, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever. Tell people about it, and I'd really appreciate that. You can also follow me on Twitter at Eric R. Salmons. That's Eric R. Salmons. Uh, or on Facebook, and it's just Eric Salmons swimming upstream. Uh, and, you know, you can find out what's, what I've been up to and interact with me, and I, I'd appreciate that. Okay, well, until next time, keep swimming against the stream.